to open our hearts and minds to hear the word of God and to respond, to put aside those things that may distract us from hearing and to supernaturally be changed to be more like Christ. And it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to start with something this morning that some of you are going to be completely unable to relate to. And some of you are going to be like, yeah, that's me. Um, I am, as I have said before, an introvert. I am very much an introvert. Um, I, I don't like standing in front of people and talking. I don't like groups. I don't like parties. Um, I struggle in all of these areas. I get really uncomfortable and kind of break out in hives, and I just, it's hard for me. I'm an introvert. And recently, uh, we ran across some, uh, this is math for introverts. If you're an introvert, you will love this. If you aren't, you may go, I don't understand. But if you are, like me, I was crying reading through these. This is math for introverts. Crying in a good way, I was laughing so hard. At the grocery store, John bought 13 lemons that cost 89 cents each. He normally would not buy so many lemons, but he spotted a coworker from afar and panicked. How much did John pay for those unnecessary lemons? <laughs> On what was supposed to be a peaceful walk without any human interaction whatsoever, Julia hid behind seven trees to avoid small talk with strangers. If Julia walked for 20 minutes, what was her average rate of trees per minute? <laughs> Brian dragged Deirdre to a party. If Deirdre spent six minutes trapped in boring conversation with strangers, 13 minutes hovering alone near the hors d'oeuvres, and eight minutes petting a dog in the corner, how much time passed before Deirdre decided to leave? <laughs> That's me. <laughs> um, I, if you can't find me in a group of people, just look in a corner. I'm probably there somewhere. Um, and here's the thing about being introverted. Um, sometimes you don't want to be, but you just can't help it. Like sometimes you're sitting and there is this group, and like you, you, you know you kind of want to say something, but you just can't seem to get enough courage or whatever it is to actually say it. Um, and so you just kind of remain quiet, and then the moment passes, and it's really too late by that point, and like, you hope afterwards you can find somebody and talk to them one-on-one -on -one and share what you were going to share like 45 minutes ago before you are too scared to do it. I mean, that, that's, that's what it's like. I mean, for those of you that are introverts, you know what I'm talking about. There's this feeling that I just can't say it. I just can't do what I kind of want to do. This is my other confession to you this morning. One is I'm an introvert. Two, I cannot do the Christian life the way I want to. I stand up here every Sunday morning and, and I preach something. And, I, and I, here's the word of God and here's what the word of God means and here's what we're called to do. And then I go home that week, and I really, really struggle to do it. 
it feels like that moment when I'm in this situation as an introvert going, I want to do this, I just, I can't. And that is often what my Christian life feels like. I don't want to give in to that anger, but then I do it. I want to forgive that person, but I just can't do it. And I'm struggling with living out what we're called to live. Does anybody relate to that? Because if you don't, then you should come preach and I should sit down so you can give messages. I struggle with making those choices, living that life. And this morning, I want to answer why. And I want to answer how it can be different. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. We are in a series in the book of Acts. We're hitting snapshots. Um, We're getting different uh, stories as we kind of jump through, moving throughout this book. Acts chapter 19. In verse 1, we're going to meet a group of men. Uh, They also struggle. Um, These guys, they are struggling to live the Christian life. Verse 1, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Um, He has come through before, but didn't stay very long. Um, He's going to stay for a while. There he found some disciples. Uh, There's some debate about if these guys are actually believers or not. And the reason being, you'll see in a moment, because they don't have the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, are they real believers? Are they not believers? Um, I want to make the argument very quickly that these are actual believers, but that their situation is not normal. That today you would not have their exact situation. But in the book of Acts, there's a number of things that happened that aren't normative. Today, if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in you. These guys, I believe they trusted Christ, but the Spirit isn't here yet in them. And here's why. Number one, every use of the word disciples in the book of Acts by Luke is of a believer. Uh, you don't ever, it's over 20 times where he just calls them disciples, and it's always believers. Right, number two, this story is attached to the story right before it, um, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. The reason he does that little transition is because Apollos was very similar to these men, and it's two stories that Luke connected together. Apollos also didn't, or only knew the baptism of John. That's what these guys have. They only know the baptism of John. And yet Apollos is clearly in that text a believer. So these are believers, but something is going on. Verse 2, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? There's more of that evidence, when you believed. Now, that is an odd question. Just think about that question for a minute. Could you ever imagine talking to a believer and going, so when you believe, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Paul never asked that question from anybody else. 
This is not like a normative thing, like Paul walks around going, now, did you get the Spirit? Did, did you get the Spirit? This is a, a, something about the conversation, these men's actions, their attitude, something. We don't know what because Luke doesn't reveal it, but something about them made Paul say, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Um, it is doubtful they mean they have never heard, period, that there's a Holy Spirit. It is more likely, and the Greek supports this, that, the, that what they're saying is we didn't realize we're even supposed to get a spirit in us, or something like that, as opposed to, what? There's a holy what? That, that's not what they're asking. The Holy Spirit is in the New, Old Testament, New Testament, and they were disciples of John. John preached the Spirit. They would know about the Spirit, they just don't understand they don't understand the role of the Spirit or that they're supposed to have the Spirit or something. Verse 3, and he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. There is a fundamental problem with their faith, with their walk. They don't have the Holy Spirit. These men are living their life, and by the way, they are, they were baptized into John's baptism. The most likely thing is since John is sending all his disciples to Jesus and John will be beheaded early on in the ministry of Jesus, it is likely that these guys, they have been wandering around for up to 25 years believing in Jesus without the Spirit that these guys were baptized into John's baptism back in somewhere around 27 AD. We're around 52, 53 at this point. Hey, these guys have been for a very long time. However, there is literally an actual problem. Hey, it's not this. It's not just them going, well, is there something just wrong with me? Like everybody else has got something right and I'm just, I've screwed something up. It's not that you've screwed anything up. There's a fundamental issue. You don't have the Spirit. Imagine somebody goes through college and you get to the end and your question to them is, so did you get a diploma when you went through college? That diploma is kind of important, right? I mean, all the education is fine, but if you don't actually get the diploma, who's going to hire you? Like, if you're not actually a graduate, it's kind of significant. Do you have the Spirit? There's a fundamental problem. They don't have the Spirit. Why is that a problem? Keep going. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus, and on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Two problems. Number one, this is a different era with different possibilities. Hey, when Jesus talks about John, he talks about John as, here's the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the prophets. They went to a certain point, John. Then there was a change moving forward into the kingdom of God. 
the new covenants, and it was different. There's a fundamental change of the era, and it is the coming of the Holy Spirit that makes that change. He says John was preaching one thing, but it was only looking forward to Christ and what he would do. And right now, you are still living in this other era. And it is hugely different. There's a, a woman named Emma Morano who lives in northern Italy. And she has something very, very special about her. Right? Here's what's not very, very special. She eats a raw egg every day. Every day she eats a raw egg, and she's been doing it since she was 20. Here's what's special about her. Even though she's been eating a raw egg and really doesn't eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, she likes to have a biscuit and then some water or milk in the morning for breakfast and then her raw egg. At dinner, she eat, drinks glass milk. That's her dinner. Here's the thing that's so interesting about her. She is the last person on earth to be born in the 1800s. Because another one just died recently, who was the other 116-year-old. She was born November 29th, 1899. I mean, she just slipped in. It was close. But literally, this, this lady was born in the 1800s. I mean, just kind of wrap your mind around how long ago that was, what that was like, I mean, compared to now. And when she dies, there will be no one living from that century. They're all gone. She represents the last one. John was the end of that era. It's completely gone. There is no more of this. There's a change, and that change brings about new possibilities. What the old covenant could not do is what the new covenant is promising. And here's how big it is. When Jesus rises from the dead and he meets his disciples on the mountain, end of Matthew, and he says these words, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That's pretty big. That's a lot of authority. And now I am sending you out. Right? This is what we call the Great Commission. Go make disciples. That is a big thing. And yet, he also says, but wait. Hold on. I've given you this big thing. I want you to make disciples, but I need you to wait. I need you to go somewhere and wait. What are they waiting for? He's been given all authority in heaven and earth that's commissioned them, and yet... He still says, I want you to go and wait. What are they waiting for? The Holy Spirit. Until you have the power to go out and do what I've called you to do, I want you to go and wait. You need this to do what I've called you to do. Why is this so important? Number one, because the eras have changed and we're in the new one. And number two, because we can't do what he's called us to do without the Holy Spirit. 
you have heard, if you've been in church any length of time, you have heard something about there's this power in the Spirit. And yet, and for a moment, I'm going to do something. We don't usually do this. We don't do like altar calls typically with the bow your heads, close your eyes, but I, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes for a minute. Everybody, bow your head and close your eyes. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but you don't feel like the power of the Spirit is really in your life, would you raise your hand? Nobody's looking. Would you just raise your hand if you feel like the power of the Spirit is not in your life? All right, go ahead and put them down. And then open your eyes and look up. I want to show you, biblically, what the power of the Spirit is supposed to do, okay? And if you are taking notes, just write verses down, because I'm going to go through a lot right now, and you won't be able to stay up with them all. I'm not going to turn to the passages. I have them all written out, so I can just go through this. This is the power of the Spirit in the life of a believer, and these 12 men aren't experiencing it. When I get done with this list, I want you to ask yourself, is this my life? Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed, and then he's going to go and he's going to give this speech. Here's the end of the speech. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. Do you ever have moments where you just speak by the power of the Spirit and people listen and can't help it? Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you feel God's love in your life? Because the Holy Spirit has been poured into your heart as part of God's love in your life. Romans 8, 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Peace and joy are connected to the spirit a half dozen times throughout the epistles. Is your life characterized by peace and joy? That's the power of the spirit. 8, 26, Likewise, Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Not just have it, abound in hope. 1 Corinthians 2, 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. How often do you feel like you're freely understanding the things given to you by God? 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 are just spiritual gifts. Again, don't raise your hand or anything, but do you know how God has gifted you? And are you stepping into it? Galatians 5.22, I'll just, all of them. The fruit of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit produces in the life of a believer. Does this characterize your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. I got that one in there too. It's one of those fruits. Jumped right over it. Is that what characterizes your life? If that is the power of the Spirit in the life of a believer, would you either not raise your hand or raise your hand if I ask the question, do you see the power of the Spirit in your life? Because that, and that's just part of it. That's what's supposed to be true. I wonder as Paul is having this conversation with these 12 men and they're describing their faith, if at some point Paul goes, did you receive the Spirit? Because the way you're describing your life doesn't sound like a Spirit-filled life. Did you receive the Spirit? And they go, no, I haven't. We haven't gotten the Spirit. This is what the Spirit is supposed to produce in the life of a believer. And yet, so I'm, I'm assuming you all have a cell phone. Anybody not have a cell phone in here? Raise your hand. I just want to say, whoa, we got somebody with a cell phone? Like, period, or you just don't have them with you? Wow. Anybody else? It's normative for our culture, right? I mean, everybody just has cell phones. My five-year-old has a cell phone. <laughs> now, granted, it doesn't have cell service and internet or anything, else, but he has a, a phone. You know what he uses it for? Music. It's an iPod. I mean, that's basically all it is. It's an iPod. You know, he doesn't do anything else with it. Occasionally, he'll take a picture. He kind of is barely learning how to take pictures, but like, that, that is what it is. You know how much I do with my cell phone? Like how much possibility there is with a cell phone? From controlling things in your home to starting your car to keeping your calendar. I mean, there's, there's so many things this little thing can do. But my five-year-old is like, he plays music. That's all he does. That's what I feel like my life is with the Spirit. That the Bible's describing all of this stuff that is supposed to be true. This peace and this joy and this power and all this. And yet, for me, I, I pray and I sometimes feel a little bit of a nudging, but that's, that's kind of it. I feel like there's this really powerful force and I've got this really tiny bit of it. Anybody relate to that? What is the problem? I want to show you. A couple more passages. You guys know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Early church, Acts chapter 5. They do two things. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but here's the two things. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 5, you can go look at it. They lie to the Holy Spirit, and they test the Holy Spirit. Then, Acts chapter 7, verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural person and he's talking about the Corinthians, and they are believers. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, 
does not accept. All right, just think of those. Test, resist, not accept. All of those things are being said about people in relationship to the Holy Spirit. All right, a couple others. Chapter six in Acts is where they pick these seven men but there's something interesting in the way they say it. Therefore, brothers, pick out seven men among you of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. One of the qualifications is a person who is full of the Spirit, which assumes there are people that aren't. And let me just say something. I don't believe that that, for instance, means that you can have, like, more of the Spirit than somebody else as if, like, I've got 70% of the Spirit and this person's got 80% of the Spirit. I think this is a way of talking about how much you submit to the Spirit. Same kind of thing here, Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled by the Spirit. What happens when you get drunk with wine? Not that I would know, of course. I'm a man of the cloth. That would never happen. (laughs) But in my previous life, I'll tell you what happens. You lose control. The drunkenness has a control over you. It's not complete. Well, until you pass out, then it took complete control. But up to that point, you lose control, and the wine starts to control. Be filled instead. Be controlled. Be submitted to the Spirit. Romans chapter, five, uh, chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Here it is. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not It's not like wind that just knocks you over or a car where you just get and turn it on and boom, the car goes. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. And because of that, the Holy Spirit can be resisted. The Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5 can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be tested. The Holy Spirit must be chosen. If you walk according to the flesh or if you walk according to the Spirit, don't be filled with wine, but be filled by the Spirit. There is a choice involved in that. If you and I desire the power of the Spirit in our lives, we have to respond to the person of the Spirit. If you are waiting for the Holy Spirit to just suddenly like overwhelm and take over your life and like put you on marionette strings and now you're gonna go do all of these things, it is likely never going to happen. It might happen for a moment. Sometimes the spirit just boom. But that is not the normal way of doing things. Otherwise you wouldn't have a choice. Otherwise you couldn't resist. My third confession for the morning. I have been resisting the Holy Spirit. Not intentionally. I haven't been going, no, Holy Spirit, I don't want that in my life. I've been doing that. I have been resisting the Holy Spirit. 
I forgot something this morning and I had to run home to get it. Forgot this. Anybody know what this is? Every parent, yes, you know what this is? I'm, this is what helps my five-year-old not drown. And my three-year-old. This is a floaty. You know, the arms go in here. It wraps around the chest like this and then snaps in the back. And it keeps them floating. We are trying, I am trying, to teach my five-year-old how to swim. He is petrified. He wants nothing to do with taking this thing off. He's going to hold on to this thing no matter what. And I'm trying to get him to recognize that with cooperation, the water will actually hold your body up. Like, you've got to do a little bit. You've got you've to go with the water a little bit. And, I, and I'm showing him. I'm like lifting my feet off the ground, and I'm just doing this lightly with my hands, and it's keeping me up. And I'm going, you could do this, but you've got to like let the water do what it's doing, and you can't be so scared that you keep your floaty on. You're never going to swim. In fact, can I tell you that it's harder to swim with this? I mean, I watch him. He's like, his arms are out like this because it's, it's up underneath there, and he's kind of doing this, and he can't go very fast, and he can't go underneath the water, And he can't do flips. There's all these things that he's so limited to. But he's so afraid of what it means to be in the water and to let that water actually let him float. He's so afraid that he's going to drown that he keeps choosing to wear this and he won't get rid of it. Our relationship physically to water I believe is a great picture of our relationship to the Spirit. And here's the thing. Do you know what this is in our lives? Fear, hurt, anxiety. Anxiety, there's a certain amount of comfort in holding on to the stuff. Is there not? As much as you want to let go, there's a, it's scary to let go. There's a certain amount of comfort in it. Sometimes when things get hard, instead of peace and joy, anger and hurt and discomfort, they are a little bit more comfortable. They're safer. But the entire time in our lives, the Holy Spirit is speaking peace and joy and righteousness and gentleness, and peace, and goodness, and kindness. But it is going to be like being in that water. Until you can go, all right, this can lift me up. I'm going to follow. It will empower you. He will empower you. But not as long as you're holding on to this. Not as long as you're resisting. Not as long as you're testing. Not as long as you're trying to do it on your own. Not as long as you're going to choose the flesh over the spirit. It won't happen. Last confession. I just feel like I'm up here. I need like a black box or something. Get a priest next to me. I'm bringing Andy up here. Last confession. The last few days of my life, I have been trying to live this. in any any way that I can. 
this morning. Um, there was a lot going on. You're going to see more of it because we got all of the kids involved. There's so many people involved. Um, and like all of the chaos that, that, that is part of that. Like, and then I get to church and I'm like, oh no, I don't have my floaty. I can't do church without my floaty. <laughs> I mean, you got to have the floaty, right? And so I'm like, I got to go back home. Well, that just added a whole layer of like, ah, my floaty. But the Spirit of God, He is speaking peace to me. And it was a little different. Like, I'm going to embrace this. Like, I'm going to embrace that this is what God wants in my life and that, that the Spirit of God lives in me and is trying to work and not resist it. They are the moments when you know the right thing and want to do it. The Spirit of God is pushing you in that direction and then we quickly grab our floaty and put it on. Instead of going, I know you are scared, but I'm gonna step into this and I'm gonna let God work. It is not easy, but it is right, and it is good, and it is biblical, and it is the power of God in our lives when we are willing to step into it. This morning, before we pray, I want to pray for all of us, but I want to take a moment. I want you to think about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Most of us don't even do that at all. I mean, I can tell you that, again, over the last three days, my morning prayer time, I've been consciously recognizing that the Spirit of God is in my life, and I'm talking to the Spirit. And one of two things is true. Hey, just hear this. One of two things is true. I am crazy and this whole Christian thing, it's a bunch of crud. I have a stronger word, but I can't say it. And it doesn't work. We are all deluded, and none of this actually matters. Or, the word of God is true, and it can change our lives. But you gotta choose where you're gonna go, because there is no middle ground. The middle ground is over here. If you are the middle, you're moving that direction because there is either pick up your cross and follow me or you're not. But there isn't this kind of, well, whatever. If that's your attitude, then may the Lord work with you. I would never give up on you. I love you, but you are gonna fail in living out the Christian life because it's either real or it's not. Let's give it a shot, church that this is real, that he really rose from the dead, and the Spirit of God is working in our lives and is wanting our submission, wanting us to trust and to not resist what he's doing. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, that we might be the people that God Almighty, through his Son, has called us to be. That we would stop living in our own strength, but live in yours, taking that step of submission to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
right now I pray for an outpouring of your spirit on your people that we might know him and we might live in his power. All for your glory, Father, not for ours. All because you sent your son to save us, to give us hope and purpose and life that cannot be found outside of him. Lord, may we know the true power of your spirit. We ask it in the blessed and mighty name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.